Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At Discount Tire, we know your time is valuable. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online. Did you know Discount Tire now sells wiper blades? Check out our current deals at DiscountTire.com or stop in and talk to an associate today. Discount Tire. Let's get you taken care of. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
to another episode of Soccer Supernova with me, Amy Canvin. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Gary Caldwell. Gary, how are you? I'm good, thanks. It's good to, to be on the show. Uh, how are you keeping? How you found lockdown? Uh, challenging. Homeschooling was... Uh, don't know where to start. Uh, <laughs> it was very, very, very difficult. I've got three kids. My girlfriend's got two, so... Uh, we, we occasionally nearly had a full classroom and uh, we had them all and uh, it was tough. It was, I think it was tough for the kids, uh, but hopefully now we're gonna, everyone's through through that and, and we can try and get back to some sort of normality. They're nearly all back to school, it's alright. Yeah, they're all back down here. Uh, down in, I'm down in England uh, oh. and all the kids are back at school, which is, is great for us uh, to, to finally get some time yourself again <laughs> absolutely it's well needed uh, so let's just crack right in yeah where did the, the football dream all sort of start when you were younger the football dream as soon as I could walk I think we, we had footballs I was fortunate I had an older brother uh, Stephen who went on to have a fantastic career as well uh, and both of us, it's when we were very young, we started walking, we, we kicked a ball. My dad was a, a junior football player. He played for uh, Camelon Juniors, Bannockburn, uh, Boness. He won the Junior Cup in 1983 or four, if I'm correct. I can't remember that far back, but got pictures of me and my brother on the open top bus going through Boness. So from a very, very young age, we had that connection with football. Uh, through my dad and like I said having that older brother we were, we always had somebody to kick the ball with I always think you know if I didn't have him it would have been a wall I was kicking off but fortunately I had Stephen and, and the two of us uh, I think helped each other and uh, football has been in the family as part of our life or, or the main part of our life my mum even now kind of goes well we stop talking about football but it's just all we all we talk about, all we we really kind of live for, and uh, it's it's been my whole life from a very young age. Through your career, it's been evident that um, Stephen obviously helped that along the way. When you were younger, though, was there that sibling rivalry as well? Yeah, there was. There was. I mean, I've got I've got two boys now who are three years apart. We were eighteen months apart, nineteen months apart, so a bit closer, but. You know, my boys fight and, and we used to fight. Uh, I remember once we had a, an actual fight and we blamed it on the, the boxing gloves that we had got for a birthday or a Christmas and they got chucked in the bin. So we lost our boxing gloves because we made up a little a little lie. Uh, so we had fights, we had arguments, but uh, I think we were always there helping each other uh, and, and driving each other on. I think I was the lucky one. I was the benefactor in that because... He was always first to do things, so any little mistakes he made, I, I could benefit from them and learn from them. So uh, he was a big help in my career uh, in terms of that because he was always the guy who had, who had to go and, and test the water, so to speak, and I could pick up on that and learn from that. So he, he was a great help to me. So he was a bit of the guinea pig. Who, um, who got into the, the youth football first? Was it you or him? It was Stephen and my, my dad used to always, when when he used to go for trial games and stuff, my dad used to always tell me to pack my boots in the car because you never know 
uh, you know, if if you might need a game. And it was it was a great lesson because uh, the first team he went to was North Brimage and Larbert. And on the trial night, it was windy, rainy, people were getting injured, cold. Uh, we were, it was under 11. Stephen was, mm, he would have been nine or 10 and I was eight, I think, seven or eight. And somebody, somebody got injured or, or the numbers kind of changed. And my dad said, you know, if you need if you need a number, he'll play. So I've got my boots on at the side, like a sub ready to play. And uh, came on the pitch and did quite well. The next trial, they said, oh, just just bring him along. He can join in for the start. And then eventually got in the team with Stephen. So we played that first year together at, at under 11. Then he went up to the next age group. I was still young enough to play under 11. And we, we both played for them for a while. Then he went to Hutchie Vale in Edinburgh. And, and I played that. That team broke up and my uncle actually reformed that team in Bannockburn. Uh, so, so I played for Bannockburn right through to, to kind of we went to trade professional clubs and then both left for Newcastle. But uh, it was a great piece of advice from my dad to to say always be prepared to to play uh, because you never know when that opportunity is going to come. Absolutely, it's uh, it's spot on. So obviously you do go to Newcastle, but were there other professional clubs maybe up here kicking around at that time as well? Yeah, there was. We, we, the first professional club we went to was actually Hearts. Uh, don't know if I can say that, having played for <laughs> Celtic, but uh, it was a, a, a local scout who was called Scott Gibson, uh, who lived in Bowness, and he was working for Hearts at the time, and he took me and Stephen into Hearts. But then when we were about 13 or 14, he then went to work for Newcastle. He was an excellent scout in Scotland, knew every young player in Scotland he knew about them their family everything and uh, Newcastle done well to to kind of pluck him from hearts take him to Newcastle and all, all the kind of players myself Stephen uh, Lee Barrett was a, a young player for Bonus who was a bit older than us but was doing really well uh, he tried to take Stuart Malcolm who, who's now the manager of Forfar and, and obviously Brian Kerr came down with me and we played in the same youth team so there was a lot of Scottish players at that time that Scott took down. Uh, so Hearts were the first team we played for, but we went to... My dad was very much... My dad's not a supporter of any any team, really. My mum's side of the family are all big Celtic fans, but my dad was really supported football. He enjoyed watching a, any team. And, and he, he, although we were kind of drawn to Celtic with my mum's side of the family, I would never say we were diehard Celtic fans because of my dad uh, and his basically focus on just going go and watch football, going and, you know, enjoy any any team play, playing good football. So at a young age, he was he was very much against the old S-form at that time. Okay. So when we went to Hearts, they wanted to sign S-forms and my dad said, no, they're no signing, you know, they, they want to just train. And that, I think, was great advice as well because we then went to Dundee United, uh, we went to Celtic, we went to Rangers. And then when we got a bit older and England opened up, we went to Newcastle, Manchester United. I remember going down to Chelsea, uh, Liverpool, I went to a lot. And, and it, they were the two teams really when I was deciding to leave school. Liverpool and Newcastle were, were the two teams that I was deciding between uh, they had a, a academy manager called Steve Highway, uh, who was there as a player, and 
spent a number of years in the academy and it was a great academy. But with Stephen being at Newcastle and the connection we had at Newcastle, I felt, I don't know, I just felt probably because of him and having that security, your brother there, uh, that was why I decided to, to go to Newcastle. Obviously, you um, you mentioned your dad didn't get you to sign that S form. Do you think that helped along with the enjoyment of it, that you weren't tied down to anything? As you see, youngsters nowadays, are they still get into that academy football from such a young age, but maybe going from club to club kept that enjoyment and dream alive. Without a doubt, yeah. And I, and I say it to my, my youngest boy uh, is 11 uh, and, and quite a big player. And he's had clubs come up and speak to me at different things, and and he's went into training at Man City when he was when he was a bit younger in Man United for a bit, and and I'd, I'd, there's no rush, you know, and I see other kids in his team that their, their parents they want to drive them to Bury and to Rochdale and to to all these clubs, and I say like just he's getting good coaching with his, he's playing with his mates, he's enjoying it, and that that is enough at, at 11 year old, I think. It's more the parents that see the bright lights of, of Man United, Man City, and they they think at 11, because they go there, that they're going to be a footballer. And I know from experience, you're a million miles away. Even when you're in the youth team at Man United or Man City, you're a million miles away from, from being a player at those clubs. So as long as, for me, as long as you're enjoying football, you are getting something out of it in terms of, uh, the love for the game, uh, the the physical element of the game, how good it is for your mental health and stuff like that. I think growing up, that that should be the priority. Whether you're going to be a footballer or not, once you get you know to the later years and teen years, then then ultimately that that will be the decision. Then it shouldn't be the focus as a young player. I do, I, I do think you're spot on there, and it is something that we talk about quite a lot on this show. Um, as you said, it's just it's that parental push, really. So obviously, you get to Newcastle, you're going. You're obviously the, your brother's there. That's a bit of that safety net. What was it like when you first went down? It was brilliant. We actually, me and Brian Kerr, who was my assistant at, at Partick Thistle and my, one of my best friends in football, uh, we used to go down when we were still at school. And I think in my, my oldest boy is 14 now and I, I was 15 at the time when I'd done this. I don't know how my mum allowed me to do it. And I certainly wouldn't allow my oldest boy to do it. But we she would, after school, she'd go have a little packed lunch, pick me up, rush me straight to Stirling train station where I'd get on a train myself, get the train down to Edinburgh. Kersey would get on the train at Motherwell, which was going direct to Newcastle, but we'd, we'd go through Edinburgh. I'd then changed platform to Edinburgh to get the Edinburgh train, meet Kersey. We'd both have our kind of packed lunch dinner, uh, get down to Newcastle Friday night. Somebody would pick us up from the station in Newcastle and take us with all the other, with Stephen and all the other youth team players were. And we'd play for the youth team on a Saturday morning. And then right after the game, we'd get the train back. And just a brilliant, you know, at 15-year-old to, to be doing that with your mate, and, and just having a laugh, we used to try and we used to get expenses off Newcastle for the train fare. So if we could jump the like not pay the train fare, then we got that as kind of pocket money. So we'd always have wee tricks of the trade of going in the toilet or falling asleep to try and get away with paying the fare, and then they would give us the money. Uh, and just a brilliant, a brilliant education and and growing up and and responsibility and having to 
you know, look at a train platform and, and change trains. And I think that's gone to kids nowadays where you, you probably HR and, and all the kind of protocols that are in place now, a, a club wouldn't allow a young player from Scotland to do that anymore, which I think is wrong because those little experiences that, that we had doing that helped us grow up. Uh, and then when we went down the following summer, we, we both left school and went down and, and lived together. Uh, we, we, we were in a hotel for a bit that, that had people looking after us and t- from the club. And then we went into digs, just me and Brian uh, in Whitley Bay. And then we got a house on our own. But all those kind of stages of, of development uh, I, I think in the modern day, we, we take too much responsibility away from kids, which then when we then ask them to make decisions and, and to grow up, they're, they're, they're not prepared for that. So those were, in my opinion, a great education and, and a brilliant, brilliant times, like just having fun, basically. And, and never at any point did I think football was... Uh, a job uh, or or any sacrifice I had to make whilst I think to be a footballer I think you have to make loads of sacrifices it's only now when I look back uh, at the sacrifices I made because at the time it just felt like it, it was my life and it was it was what I wanted to do uh, so great great memories kind of thinking about that that early education in football It's an early education like you say off the pitch what was it like on the pitch? On the pitch was well, re- really tough because at, at 15 we were playing against kind of 18, I think 18, 19 year olds. So the, that challenge, you know, was was really tough in terms of physicality. Obviously, we were playing a, a few years up. We, we were good enough to get in the team, which was great, but uh, it really tested us. And, and I think even nowadays that, that's gone a little bit as well, where Teams want to win at that age and and want to play their oldest team, their best team. Whereas Newcastle, probably ahead of their time back then, that they were they identified certain players that they felt could play for the first team, which Brian and Stephen both did. I, I didn't, but I went on to play for other first teams, and they identified that they they're trying to develop players, you know. And if you're 15 and you're good enough to play for the 18s. And the 18s probably don't win as much because of that. Then, then that is what what youth development is all about. It's about developing players, not about winning games of football. And uh, I think they were ahead of their their time in that. Uh, in terms of training, again, I loved I loved training. Uh, it was tough when when I went down to the youth team. Alan Irvin, a great Scottish coach, was was our youth team coach, and he was extremely demanding. The the training was very physical every day, but it was it was always with the ball. Uh, he always told us to to play the right way, as I think it is. So, time for the back, uh, pressing teams. Tommy Craig was a reserve team coach, another Scottish coach, who all he spoke about was pressing. And this would have been 20, 21 years ago. You know, and we talk now about Jurgen Klopp and Gagan Press and counter-pressing and all these fancy words. Tommy Craig was coaching high press, high energy, uh, winning the ball back quickly with with our reserve team 20, 20, 21 years ago. So uh, it shows how good the coaches were. uh, And our education at Newcastle at that time uh, was brilliant because of the coaches. 
You, you touched upon Alan Irvin there and he is a, an extremely well-respected coach. Are you su- quite surprised in the sense that how ahead of his time he was that he's not really kicked on in a man- managerial career up until this stage? No, having haven't seen uh, management, you know, f- f- for my kind of uh, few years that I've had in management and coaching, uh, I'm not surprised. It's it's not just about the level of coaching. Uh, there, there's other stuff involved involved in management. I think in terms of on the gas, what he does as a coach, he's second to none, uh, and that is you know where he is now at, at West Ham and and how well they're doing. I think reflects that. Uh, but in terms of management, there's other facets of football management that are. If, you know the show could go on for another four or five hours uh, to, to to discuss them in detail as uh, the intricacies of, of football management. So uh, I think he's found, I wouldn't say his level, but he's found a, a job that that suits him. I think he'll, he'll open. I've I've met him a few times. He, he lives near me, and, and through the LMA, I've met him at different times to to help mentor me in different things. And uh, he, he is a coach more more than a manager. Uh, and and a, and a very good coach at that. So I think he's 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 at a great level now, helping you know a great manager uh, and helping a team to to definitely this season exceed uh, expectations. They absolutely are. So obviously at the time though, the manager was Bobby Robson. Even at such a young age, could you see his his greatness, or was it you a bit um, blinded to it? Probably. Yeah, he's somebody I worked with at kind of 17, 18 and I wished I worked with him when I was 27, 28 because of how good he was and only when I got older I appreciated how good he was. You could see he was very good. You could see the experience and the respect that, you know, I didn't work with him every day but the the people like Gary Speed, Alan Shearer, uh, Shea Given, Rob Lee, the respect that they gave him was was phenomenal his ability to deal with Kieran Dyer, Craig Bellamy, younger players, top young players of, of that generation was second to none. He was, you know, a father figure to them at times, but also very hard on them at times. Uh, and he was somebody that I had to remember. I, I wanted to go alone. I wanted to play games. And first team, and my agent said, you need to go and chat the manager's door. And I was bricking it, having, <laughs> having a 17, having to go and chat Bobby Robson's door and tell him, I'm ready to play in your first team. And he, he would just, in a good way, uh, looking back now, he just went through a list of, I don't know, I forget how many it was, but he was, you can't do this, you can't do that. So he would say to me, like, you're not quick on the turn, your left foot's not good, you need to be, be better in the air, you need to be this, you need to be this, you need to be... And it was just like, wow. You know, like, he just he just hit you with it. And... and he was right uh, looking back, but he was also very fair. And I said, I'd, I'd like to go on loan and kind of learn those things out of here. Not a problem. And he would set that up. And uh, a, a brilliant manager uh, who, like I said, I, I wish, you know, I worked with him more in terms of being in the first team squad and, and when I was older and, and could appreciate him more because he was outstanding. And uh, even just to get the little bits that I got, I feel fortunate that I've I've got that and had that kind of relationship with them. It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, 
weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Technology allows drones to deliver pizza. Here's mine now. Approaching drop zone. But to deliver powerful insights that are on target, you need more than technology. You need CDW to help transform and manage your IT environment with a Dell technology solution that lets you slice your data any way you want to accelerate innovation. Delivering. Don't forget to tip. Dell Technologies makes data-driven insights possible. CDW makes it powerful. Learn more at cdw.com slash Dell Data Center. Talk about your loan moves. I think you had three when you were at Newcastle, um, Darlington, Derby and Hibs. What were the, were the crucial periods of your, your development? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I got released from, from Newcastle and I'd played over 100 league games. And, and now, uh, as a manager, certain players get released from Premier League clubs and I look at their CV and they'll be lucky if they've played five league games. And then it becomes a risk to, to the manager because you, you, there's that uncertainty of how they will handle men's football. So I was fortunate or 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 seen that opportunity to say, I, I'm not going to sit here in the reserves. I need to go and play. Uh, the first one was in the, it was the old third division. It's now League Two uh, with Darlington. That was an eye-opener and a sense of, wow, this is, this is people who are playing for their, their livelihoods, for their mortgage. Uh, I remember the centre half I played with, David Brightwell, who after every game had ice for, for head to toe because uh, he used to go and head everything. I, was, I wasn't the biggest anyway, even when I kind of uh, was, was in my kind of 20s. But at that age, I was, I was small and, and not physically really developed. So he used to just say, I'll go and head everything. You cover and, and kind of read the game. And... Uh, I became that person when I was in my late twenties. I was the one. <laughs> so it was you see how kind of the, the cycle of the game goes, but real education and winning football, real education and uh I, I remember I played against a player at Scunthorpe who I'll never forget the look in his eyes where he knew he had me. He he looked at a young seventeen year old boy and said, you know, you don't know what's coming today and he battered me physically in the air. I just couldn't deal with them. Uh, Steve Torpe, I remember his name. I will remember it till the day I die. Uh, but those those little education uh, were, were so important, I felt, in, in my development. And I, I said after I played four games for Darlington, and, and I said to my agent, you know, it was brilliant, but I never want to play at that level again, you know, because I seen how tough it was. I seen how difficult it was with the football they played. I'd never, I'd never experienced before, but it gave me that taste of it. And I think young players nowadays at the bigger Premier League clubs, they turn their nose up at those kind of teams and they shouldn't because 
if you think you are a good player, you need to go the, to that level and prove it. And once you prove it at that level, then that's how you step up the ladder. Uh, and too often, I've had it myself when I've been a manager, oh, he's, he's, he's not coming to that level. He thinks he's, he's better than that level. And then I look at the player's career and, and he doesn't ever go any higher than, than, than the, that level. So uh, I think players should be more open to, to going to clubs at that level. And then, like I said, you, you go up. So I went to Hibs after that which was a massive jump up in terms of Premier League football against Celtic, Henrik Larsson, Sutton, Hartson. That team was phenomenal. Michael Moles, uh, the De Boers at, at Rangers, uh, a massive jump up. They went to the Championship in England with Coventry and Derby. So I, I left Newcastle a relatively experienced player having never played for, for the team I actually, uh, my parent club. So... I think that was important in, in my development and then leaving Newcastle with a bit of a reputation. Does it make that leaving Newcastle that a little bit easier? Um, obviously, it's never nice because obviously the, the dream, I assume, would have been to, to have played in the Premier League with, with Newcastle. But does it make it a little bit easier? You've had that taste of, like you say, playing against Lars and the De Boers and obviously eventually you do come up to Hibs anyway. It did, but it's still my dream was to play in the Premier League. So I was still... You know, I think it kept that drive and hunger as well. So I, I think I left, I had opportunities to go to other clubs, you know, whereas if, if I hadn't had those games, you know, where would I went? I don't know. Uh, but I left with that disappointment of, I don't know what the Premier League's like. I want to get back there one day. So I always had that hunger, uh, which was probably a good thing. So obviously you had that little load spell up at Hibs. Was it always an ambition then to go back up there or were they just the most appealing club at that time? It was a club I really enjoyed. Uh, my loan spell I loved. And like I said, there was a, a few other clubs, but as soon as the interest was there for them, I, I knew the club, I knew some of the players, I knew Bobby Williamson. It was, it was a no-brainer really to, to, to go back there and, and kind of continue my, my career from there. And... Uh, I loved loved my time. Both both my spells at that club uh, were amazing. So you go up and you were really thrown right in the deep end. I think your your debut was against Celtic, and then you had the League Cup um, coming. Obviously, you're playing in that semi final and um, beating Rangers. Does it rejuvenate that? Right, it, it was all sort of worth it. Yeah, it does. It's 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 like you're a player then, and and I think when you become or or you get into first team, you are in. And again, only now looking back. It is such a bubble you're in. You're you're like in a bad way, probably. But you you the outside world is irrelevant. All that mattered to me as a player was Saturday afternoon or Tuesday evening, Wednesday evening, and winning a game of football. And literally, there could have been all sorts going on in the world, but that was my focus, and that's all I concern myself with. And I think that's probably wrong. In, in hindsight, looking back, you should have more. Uh, you know, you should think about more, and and there's there's a bigger picture. But that was the way I was. I was just programmed to to live for a Saturday and and to win games of football and do everything I can from Monday to Friday to try and make that happen. Uh, and once you get into that, it's then it's a cycle, and you have to you develop a thick skin. You have to be very resilient in in football, uh, and you have to learn quickly. Uh, from from mistakes and try and improve all the time because it's never a, it's never just a plain upward curve. It's always kind of 
peaks and troughs, highs and lows that uh, you have to deal with. Uh, uh, that's probably the biggest thing. Even when I look at top, top players, you know, the, the very top Champions League uh, international footballers, they don't have it brilliant all the time. They, they have uh, highs and lows. So that is, for footballers, that, that mental resilience is, is huge. Obviously, early on in your career, it was that League Cup loss. That was the the first real big low. It was a very talented side that um, Hibs side, and coincidentally, you were you were gaining your first uh, Scottish international caps as well. Did you feel that there was a special bunch amongst you? Yeah, I think again, like I said, you just play football. You're just you almost become robotic a little bit. You're just doing your job. You're not really thinking far down the line you're not aware of how good potentially you can be I think when Tony Mowbray came in you got a sense he knew it he could sense uh, you know I've got a group of players here that I can mould and I think it was a great job for him because we were also young eager talented hungry players that that he could just send us out you know how, however he wanted to play and we would have we would have done it we would have followed that but it was a a brilliant team to play in. Uh, we would it'd have been great to win something. I think we were all a little bit young. We didn't have that experience. We did have Gary Smith, Stephen Glass, Simon Brown, but we didn't have enough experience to to help us win something. Uh, but all those players, the younger players, went on to Celtic Rangers down in England. Uh, some went abroad. Uh, and went on to have great careers. So it, it shows you what a, a talented team it was. Now, it was a great team to play in. It was a talented team. When did you first come aware that there was the rumours of Celtic? Uh, through my agent, really. Uh, we had kind of contact from Celtic, then Gonstrack and wanted to come to my house. So from the January, I was a free agent to speak to, to other clubs because my contract was running out in the summer. And... He came to my house in Edinburgh. I had an apartment in, uh, right in the middle of Edinburgh and he came one night with his like, full tammy on and covered up so that nobody could see him and came in and spent an hour and a half in my house just talking football and straight away I had a connection with him. I obviously, Celtic were a massive club. My mum's my side of the family were all big Celtic supporters. I, I, I had been to a lot of games as a kid. And, uh it was a big move for me and I, I was keen to do it. And I, I always kept Tony Mowbray really in, in the loop. He he knew that Gordon was coming to my house. There was never anything done behind his back. And even when I signed the pre-contract, I said, you know, he, he was the first call I made on the way home from, from Celtic Park to say that I'd signed the pre-contract. And he was happy for me in one regard in terms of to go and play. He obviously had played for the club and knew what a big club it was. Uh, but disappointed that I was I was leaving the club he was manager of, and he asked me if I wanted to keep playing. I said, yeah, hundred percent. I was I was captain the Hibs, and you know I had to give everything till the end of the season while I was contracted, and and that was it really. There was nothing, there was nothing kind of major in, in terms of you know between us uh, like big big talks. It was just very honest, very open, uh, and and then the, the I finished season and the movement through in the summer. This week on The Marketer's Report, Patrizio Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct-to-Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on building trust. 
Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy. And we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. As the number one audio company, iHeart Media gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the data you need to grow. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. You had that movement through the summer. So just before we touch on that, um, when you did that, eventually join Celtic, what was the Kirin Cup like for Scotland during that time? The Kirin Cup was one of the best trips ever. I'm sure if you ask anyone who was on that trip, I think always the, the end of season trips with Scotland are good. They're a good opportunity to uh, get, get the players together and to bond uh, in terms of end of season. Uh, You've no games to go back after to your club. Uh, but that one, Walter Smith, Ali McCoy, Tommy Burns were the backroom staff and we were already creating a real, it was like a club atmosphere. Everyone, you know, was really keen to go and play for Scotland, even if, because quite often if you're not involved, it can be difficult because players are playing week in, week out for their clubs. Then they're having to go and sit on the bench and, We've all had it. I've had it for a spell under Alec McLeish where I was sub quite a lot and it's you've just got to go and be a good teammate and be part of it. But under the, uh, Walter, he had just a great atmosphere. I remember his first, his first get-together was actually down in Manchester, just near where I live, uh, Mottram Hall Hotel. We went to and he had a, a meeting that went on for about three hours. It was the longest meeting I think I've ever been involved in and he set out his whole plan, how he wanted to play, how he was going to pick the team. And he just said, this is how it has to be. And if you want to be a part of it, great. You can, that's it. If you don't, come and see me and, and we can discuss it. And I think only one player went to see him and said, look, with my family situation and if I'm not involved, and, and that was it. He, he didn't come, which is, he, he is fine. But everyone else bought into it and, and we had great success. So, in terms of the Kirin Cup, we we beat Bulgaria 5-1 in the first game and then uh, we actually transferred to Tokyo. I can't remember where the first game was, but transferred to Tokyo, uh, staying in a brilliant hotel right next to the Tokyo Dome. And then we, we played the last game against Japan. I remember it was pouring rain. Like the pitch was, the pitch was amazing. It was one of the best pitches I'd ever played on. It was a World Cup pitch. And the grass was it just it looked like it had been cut by scissors. And the rain just made the pitch so quick. And so it was a brilliant pitch to play on. But we got battered. My, my, Stephen was actually in the squad and he was on the bench and he said it's he still says to this day it's one of the best backs against the wall performances he's ever seen because we just in typical Walter fashion, we parked the bus and uh, got a no no draw. And I remember coming in after the game. There was crates of Kirin, because Kirin was a beer. There was about six crates of beer lined up in the middle of the... Because uh, I'd done an interview, so the team had kind of a meeting and, and people were just drinking beer still in their strips. And I thought, well, this is going to be a long night. And uh, his, his only instructions was be back on the bus tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. At least at nine o'clock for the airport. And you make sure you're on it. And when Walter said something, you listened to it. You, you didn't, you know, break that rule. And me and my brother were rooming together in it, God knows what time, and in our stupidity decided we could grab a little hour or two kit before we got in the bus. And at 10 past nine, our, our hotel phone went. Uh, it was Richard Simpson, who was the operations manager, saying, 
get your asses on the bus. So <laughs> we quickly got our gear on on the bus. You know, sorry, Gaff. Far sorry, and he just went the two F and Caldwells. I might have known, uh, but <laughs> he was he was fine. But you he, he was somebody you. With Walter, you never wanted to cross him. You know, he was a brilliant man manager. Uh, really good with you, but when, when, like I said, when he said a time or he said something, you, you, you wanted to follow that because the respect that you had from. But it was one of many brilliant Scotland trips. I could, I could write a book on on Scotland trips with the with some of the stories, but most of them you can't say. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the achievements maybe a little bit overshadowed? Do you think it's um, sort of forgotten about a little? Uh, no, I think it was a good achievement. It was only two games. Uh, the biggest thing as well was we, we travelled. The first game was we, we didn't have lots of time to uh, climatise. And, and I always remember people were, the, the breakfast room at like five in the morning was, was full. Everyone would be sitting at breakfast at five. Nobody could sleep. And then you go for training at like four or five in the afternoon and everyone would be sleeping on the bus going to training. It was weird. So... The, again, it showed the the effort. You know, if if there's one thing I could say about Scotland scores, we might never have obviously been good enough to qualify in, in my era, but the application and the effort that I've seen from everyone that, that turned up on the trips was phenomenal. You know, we, we, we didn't not qualify because of lack of effort. And, and that trip personified that where, People were knackered, you know, like physically knackered after a hard season, travelling, time difference was, but yet we went out and beat Bulgaria 5-1 just by people digging in, people helping each other. And that was that was what I loved about Scotland. And yeah, you know, at times you could question our quality or, you know, other teams were better than us, but you, you could never question anyone's uh, commitment to, to the country. So you come in off the back of a, of a great summer and then... And then you're writing at the deep end at Celtic. What was it like that first day walking in at Parkhead? I've been I've been talking about that recently with all the the kind of speculation of who the next manager is. And I was brought up my mum's side of the family, Celtic supporters, had seen the club, had been to watch games. And when you walk in that door as an employee, uh, you realise the magnitude, the size of the club. Uh, we went on pre-season to America, first pre-season. Thousands of people at training, thousands of people coming to watch the game and strips. You know, not just you know kid on to proper supporters with strips, with families with all the strip. And uh, the size of the club is phenomenal. The expectation on the club is phenomenal, and you have to live with that. I think I've seen a lot of great players. You know, great players coming to that club that couldn't deal with that expectation, couldn't really produce their best because of that. Uh, but for, for me, I, I loved every second. I loved the challenge. Uh, I loved working with the manager. Gordon Strachan was amazing for me uh, as a player in my development. Uh, pushed me to, to be better, but also backed me at times when, you know, I played right back on occasions and anyone who's seen me will know I'm not a very good right back, but he trusted me. He, he, we needed, you know, somebody to do it, and and he gave me great support in those periods when I might have got a bit of stick off the supporters or not been playing my best. Uh, that that backing he gave me was was really important to me and helping me have a successful career at, at the club. 
What was it like walking in straight away and you've touched on it uh, there, it is a massive club and there is that expectation to win every single cup, to win every single league title? I enjoyed it. Uh, I thrived on it. And, and actually, funny, when I went to Wigan, my first day at Wigan, I'll never forget because I went in and I was like, what's going on here? Because we had, in my time at Celtic, training became... Training was like nothing I'd ever experienced. It was like harder than the games. And that's no disrespect to the teams we were playing, but training would be full throttle, tackles, cuts, fights. And I mean, every day, even on a Friday, the day before a game, we used to play young v old and that was like competitive. And nowadays with, with sports science, the, the Fridays have probably changed a bit, but we would play it. When I, think, I think it was like 15 minutes each way, so half an hour of full out 9v9 like game and it was so competitive and I went to Wigan team languishing not they weren't in the bottom three but maybe fifth bottom sixth bottom Premier League playing a different style of football and the first day I put a tackle in that the whole session just stopped because they were like what is going on here and and I thought like if we want to be the club that I want us to be then training the standards have to come up the demands have to come up so it was interesting having that contrast going from Celtic to, to Wigan because in my time at Celtic it, it, it kind of it forced me to be you know first is first second is nowhere it's a famous saying but it, it very much rings true when, when you play for Celtic and you have to get into that mindset not just on a Saturday every single day of your life that has to be your mindset and it was in that squad. That was a, the best squad I played with, uh, without a doubt, in, in my three and a half years at Celtic. Uh, the, the people that were there, the, their attitude, their competitiveness and, and the quality that we had was was brilliant. And a manager that you know knew how to push our buttons and knew how to push us all to, to bigger and better levels. What was it like when you did eventually get that first league title? It's the Marketer's Report. This week, Patrizia Spagnoletto, Global Chief Marketing Officer, Direct Consumer for Warner Brothers Discovery, weighs in on the difficult task of building and retaining consumer trust. Trust is a really hard thing to build and a really easy thing to destroy, and we have to be very respectful about that. Our partnership with iHeart has really helped us build that trust and that relationship with the on-air talent. The best thing for us to do is to build a relationship with our consumers. And if those consumers have a relationship with the DJs that are on air, then we want to build on that. House of the Dragon, which was one of our most successful, if not the most successful campaign we've ever done for a show, audio was a core part of that. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. Not just a media company, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. That was amazing. I remember we were we were quite comfortable. We were always, it was a year where we were, I, I was at, uh, who was the manager? The Paul Le Guin, I think, might have been the Rangers manager, and they were struggling a little bit. And we were always comfortable, the lead that we had. But we played Motherwell. I think it was one of the first games after the split. And it was one of the worst games of football I'd ever played. I was terrible. The team was terrible. And we won 1-0. And I'll never forget Gordon Strachan after the game said, brilliant. And I'm like, brilliant. We were we were awful. 
and he said, "This is this is what it takes. You know, you need to get over the line. You need to win those games. You know, we kept a clean sheet. We we got the goal. We we just done enough. And and it was a big lesson and for, for the my future in terms of Celtic and and we Wigan and then going into management. It can't always be exactly how you plan it. It can't always be pretty football. There's times you need to dig in and and find a way to win a game of football and." That first season really, really taught me that. Even though we were, we were quite comfortably clear. What were the um, European nights like for you? They were incredible. Uh, the the best them and the old forum games were the best games, club games I've ever been involved in. Just the anticipation. Uh, walking out to that music, the noise at Celtic Park was was unbelievable, and the challenge of uh, some of the players, you know, the teams we played against were just out of this world, and it was a, a privilege to to be on the same pitch as them. Uh, a great challenge. I always remember my dad after games would have a go at me about this, that, and the next thing, and I'm thinking. I'm playing against Ronaldinho or Henri or Kaká <laughs> and he's questioning certain things, you know, and I said, I'm, I'm bloody trying <laughs> to do what you're asking me to do, but the, the speed of the game, and I always remember the ball, the Champions League ball always seemed to be quicker. Uh, the, the just everything about it was like football, you know, on fast forward uh, and any little mistake that you made, you were punished. So, it, again, the... The environment, you know, took you had to take your game to the next level because if you didn't, uh, you, you were punished. And there were phenomenal games to play in, uh, especially the home games because of the uh, the atmosphere that gets created at Celtic Park. I think it was more than your second season that you really did start to build such a, a strong partnership with Stephen McManus, didn't you? Yeah, we did the first year. Obviously, we're getting to know each other. We'd known each other. We played Scotland schoolboys and that together, so we'd known each other a long time, uh, on and off. And in the first year, we were developing that relationship. Bobo Baldy was still at the club, so he was in competition with us. I then got injured in the January, I think it was. So I missed most of the second half of the season. Then when I came back in the following season, I was right back. So once we you know, got that understanding and then played regular. We we both had a great understanding and I think we complemented each other well. None none of us were very quick. So we, we had that understanding of where, where the line was, where we were both comfortable. It wasn't like I wanted to play really high. You know, we were in between and we, we just struck up. I think it's important in teams that, you know, on the on the training pitch and the work that you do, you you develop that relationship, and then when it goes on the pitch, it just becomes second nature, and, and we managed to do that. I think um, you've mentioned it before. You got a fair bit of stick for for when you've been at right back. I think um, Andreas Hinkle came in and maybe saved you there. Who, obviously, when that all comes around, then how big a thing is it? You get that PFA Writers Player of the Year. Does it sort of go well? I have done all right. Uh, I don't know. I think everyone everyone says, you know, it's a team game, and uh, you know, individual awards don't matter, and and they don't. But I think anyone would be lying to say it. it's always nice to to get recognised uh, of what you've done. And I felt like my whole I felt like my whole career 
I was proving myself. Even when I was at Wigan, uh, even when I'd played 50 times for Scotland, I still felt every time I'm going on the pitch, I have to prove myself. I have to prove to, to me, to my manager, to my teammates, to supporters that I'm good enough. And that was my mindset uh, and, and football. And uh, uh, never thinking, you know, what, what you've done before is good enough. And uh, I felt like every year at Celtic, I improved a little bit and a little bit. So to, to get the writer's award and not only that, to win the league, and the way that we did, uh, coming back, uh, with seven games to go, we were we were out of touch. We had to beat Rangers twice, we did. And it was a real, it kind of typified, I think, Gordon Strachan Celtic teams, that we were very resilient teams. We never knew when we were beaten. We, we, we kept going. And that title, uh, with Tommy Burns dying, everything that went with that season was... It was a special season and, and to get the football writers on top of that was was amazing for myself. So, yeah, that was the kind of peak, I think, of, of my Celtic career. You mentioned, obviously, that it was part of the Scotland setup as well um, for the for the Curran Cup. What was it like being at the club um, at Tommy Burns' death? Uh, it's, it's, it's weird because I was actually, it was a privilege to be at his, his funeral. He used to say it before he died, like, apparently, I wasn't at Jimmy Johnson's, but he, <laughs> he used to joke to the players, I'll wait till you see Matthew, you know, you know it'll, be, it'll be much bigger than this. And, and that was Tommy, you know, like, joking at, at, at the kind of, at a moment that probably a joke wasn't needed, but uh, he was a special man. Uh, Celtic was everything to him, and he was very, a very big part of, you know, letting you understand that when, when you played for the club, what it meant not just to him, but to, to everyone else. Uh, and then when he had his, his illness and he was on and off, people missed him. And then obviously when he died, it was tragic. But then to, to see his funeral was like, again, like the, the club, you know, it, it always kind of took you by surprise because you were like, wow, you know, the, the, the people, I'll never forget, so the church just round to Celtic Park, people outside the church, then from the drive to the stadium, the, the people in the streets were like seven deep all the way into Celtic Park. Then when we turned the corner at Celtic Park, the, the front, which is now the Celtic Way, it used to be the car park, it was full of people. And, and we were on the bus following uh, the funeral uh, cars and it was, it was just mind-blowing. And then even from there all the way to the cemetery, people in the streets stopping cars... And it just shows what what he meant uh, to to Celtic supporters. And that was on the Tuesday, I think on Monday or the Tuesday. And we, the league, the last game of the season got put to the Thursday night because of Rangers in the Europa League and just everything that week. And I'm not a, a kind of religious or a spiritual person, but it was weird. It was like I've never went into a game knowing we were going to win. It was like. It was destiny. Then I think he won a league title at Tannadice. Uh, his his last league title as a player was at Tannadice. And we went to Dundee United, didn't play very well. 1-1-0. One, one, uh, and it was just an, an incredible comeback, an incredible night where, you know, there was, it felt like there was a, some, somebody up above was kind of was helping us. 
it certainly marked the, the end to a really special year. So then, obviously, um, Strachan stays, and then it just doesn't really take off that next game season. When Tony Mowbray comes back in, are you thinking that things are just going to be all right? Continue the fact you worked under him at Hibs, or was there a little bit of a, a shift up there? No, not at all. When he came in, I was delighted. Uh, like I said, when I left, it wasn't like I left uh, with any animosity either way. Uh, kept in touch with him after. Uh, and when he came in, I was delighted. I thought it would be perfect. And then I was at a contract. He was trying to get me a contract. You know, there was a, you know, a difference in, in where the club seen me and where I see myself at the club, which happens. I understand that happens. And that's life, that's football. Uh, again, I had no animosity leaving Celtic. It's, it's part of football. Uh, and there was also, I'd have stayed at Celtic my whole career, w- without a doubt, if if I had felt that uh, commitment from them, if I'd felt like they, re- at the club, I'm not, I mean, Tony Mowbray, I mean, the club uh, really wanted me and, and showed me that and, and what they were they were going to pay me, then, then I would have stayed at Celtic my whole career. But then also there was also a part of me when, when it didn't happen in the Premier League, the, the opportunity to play in the Premier League week in, week out was there. Then that was, like I said, from my Newcastle days, was still really appealing. And it, I think I was 28 at the time. I thought, you know, I'm in my prime. Uh, let's go and, and, and kind of see, you know, week in, week out, playing against the best players, test myself again and see, see if I can get to that level. So obviously you did join Wigan, but in between that, what happened between uh, Middlesbrough? Oh, I don't like talking about this. <laughs> Still saying shivers up my spine. Uh, don't blame you. I, I went down. Uh, Gordon Strachan was was Middlesbrough manager, and right from very early had had called me again because we had that relationship. Love to sign you. I'd love to play for you. Uh, and everything was so easy. Wigan were always in the background and having then worked at Wigan as a player and as manager, I don't understand why it took so long. So again, it was that commitment really from the club. So they were going to offer a contract. My agent said, oh, it's not come. It was like two or three days late. It was it was actually always better than Middlesbrough. It was always more money than Middlesbrough, but it always took longer and there was always that less personal touch and Gordon was calling me every day, you know, and, and th- there was that connection. So I went down uh, on the Saturday to Middlesbrough, the, where they trained, there was a hotel, uh, and Gordon lived in a house just next to the hotel. So he said, come down, just come down to the hotel, have a look, see what you think. And I was like, great. Went down uh, Saturday night, uh, had dinner with him and Leslie. Uh, he showed me around the training ground, Gary Pendry was there, and it was like, the old mates and you're talking and uh, Roberto Martinez wanted to meet me on the Sunday and I said to Gordon look he wants to meet me you know out of courtesy I need to go and speak to him and Gordon said no problem totally understand and went to speak to him on the Sunday really loved what he had to say but still felt this connection with Middlesbrough so I phoned him the Sunday night and then on the Monday morning did my medical with Middlesbrough and my body was starting to fall to bits at that time. My hips had problems, my knee had problems. So my scan that took longer. And Barry Robson had signed. Chris Killen had signed. And when I finished all my scans, the secretary had gone home. So it, 
it must have been eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. The secretary was away, and Gordon was like, "Ah, oh, it's fine. We'll, we'll sign the papers in the morning, and then we can get training. Not a problem." Then Wigan came back in that evening. Roberto was like, "You know, I still want to sign Gary after meeting him. I want, I need him. I need him." And then they offer, they offered more money, and it, it came to the point. It was like, "Wow, like this club does want me," and and it was like. Almost late in the day, they sh- they showed that we really need this player, and I almost I was like I, ha- I have to go to Wigan. Like this is it was life changing. The the difference uh, in money and also that feeling I got that now you know they they want me at this football club. Uh, so I said to my agent, "What what do we do?" Because <laughs> I was just thinking of Gordon Strachan, and he said uh, this was like late at midnight on the the Monday night. He said we'll call. We'll, we'll get Gordon over in the morning. So we got Gordon over to the the, uh, the hotel from the training ground, which was literally a two-minute walk. And I'll never forget his face when he came in. He, he knew he knew what had happened. He'd obviously been in the game a lot longer than I had. And he said, what, what's happened? And I said, Wigan have came back in and, and I think I'm going to have to sign for Wigan. And he just, he just went, that's fine. He shook my hand. He shook my agent's hand, and he, walked, and he walked out. And I was like, "It was like because I had such a relationship, and because he'd done so much for me, it was like a, a dagger in your heart." The way the way we reacted to it, like if he'd shouted at me and went mental, I'd have felt much better. But he'd done it that way, and I said, "Oh, I felt so bad." And I said, "What were we doing?" My agent, being being an agent and having seen it all, just said. We'll go to Wigan. We went to Wigan, done a medical, and nine o'clock on the Tuesday night, I signed for for Wigan, and uh, I waited a good two or three months, and, and then called <laughs> called Gordon, and uh, he's, he's he said, "Look, it's football. It happens. You have to do what's right for you, your family." Uh, and then he was Scotland manager. I played a few games, and I I play golf with him and speak to him now. So there's no kind of ill feeling, but. It was a difficult moment, uh, but then signed for Wigan, and it's uh, it taught me a lesson. When I, when I've been a manager, and I've been trying to sign players, I tell the secretary, "You ain't going anywhere until <laughs> the boy signs," and I tell them that story that that anything could change. So we do not take sight or eyes off this player. You're staying in this building, whether it's midnight until he signs this paper, and and I'm sure Gordon Strachan probably regret because. If the secretary was there on the Monday night, I'd have been a Middlesbrough player without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, but again, Middlesbrough were in the championship. So that was my, even though, like I said about the Premier League, I thought I could go to Middlesbrough, we'll get up, we'll go back into the Premier League. But this way with Wigan, I was, I was going straight into the Premier League and that, that opportunity that I'd, I'd craved from, from obviously my Newcastle days. That poor wee secretary, I bet she got a rollicking in the morning. Um, <laughs> what was it? Obviously, like you say, it's been spoken about a lot recently. Um, the, the Martinez links to the Celtic, however real and um, fundamental they may be. How good was Roberto Martinez though, for you? He was brilliant uh, for me. Uh, he made me captain that summer, so I signed in the January. Uh, I had I had hip surgery that summer as well, so there was you know. A, like I said, my, my body was starting to fall apart a bit. I had double hip surgery, which was brilliant and gave me 
the years after that was the best I'd felt in terms of physically, uh, experience, uh, confidence, belief, everything was was the best I'd felt in my whole career. He made me the captain and we had a brilliant relationship. I you know, could speak to him. I spoke to him most days, to be honest, in his office, one-to-one, about coaching, about playing styles, why we do certain things. And uh, he took... Not not my game necessarily, more my coaching and my my thinking of of longer term and how I seen football. He, he he took that to another level. He is, without doubt, the best tactician uh, I had worked with as a manager. He he saw the game, you know, almost like a, a game of chess, and and he analysed every little piece and how we moved this. And uh, when I went there, Wigan had never beat a top four team, so the old top four would have been. Liverpool, Man United, Chelsea and Arsenal. And and we used to beat them regularly. Even though we were down the bottom of the league, we beat Liverpool home away, we beat Chelsea, uh, we beat Man United for the first time ever as a club when, when Sean Maloney scored. Uh, we beat City, obviously, in the Cup uh, final. Uh, and that was because Roberto tactically was so clever. Uh, and we ne- we were never scared of these teams. And, and he, he, he kind of... He he, sh- he showed me that as well that you know the, there should never be an inferiority of of playing these bigger teams. Yes, they have better players. Yes, they have more money, uh, but you have to be true to to how you see the game, how you believe the game should be played, and and give your players belief to go and and carry that out. And we would go to Old Trafford, we would play toe to toe. We wouldn't we wouldn't sit in. We would quite often dominate possession. Uh, we took a few hammerings because. On transition and the the, the Rooney's, the Van Persies, they could just kill you in one second. Uh, but that that didn't kind of stop him from trying to play the way he wanted to play. And ultimately, one Wigan, uh, you know, Wigan, a team that had come from I can't even remember what league they started in. Uh, it got them to win an FA Cup, which is is a remarkable story. And stay in the Premier League as as long as they did, not not playing. Uh, defensive football, playing, playing real attacking football. So uh, tactically, he was he was a genius. What was that FA Cup run like? I never played a game. I was <laughs> I was injured, but uh, I was sub in the semi final in the final. The semi, yeah. Uh, and uh, it was in the quarter final. We played Everton away, and we battered them three 0 Playing unbelievable football. It was. You're, before he changed to a 3-4-3 and again tactically before his time before Antonio Conte came to Chelsea and done it and won the league before anyone was really playing a back three we changed to a back three I'll never forget he actually when I met him uh, I met him in Harrogate when I was at Middlesbrough he told me that day we're going to play a back three you'll play in the middle your, your lack of pace, you know, that'll cover for that. I want you to be the leader. I want you to control the team, the tempo of the play. I want you to be the voice of the team. And uh, and I was like, sounds brilliant. Uh, and then went and then played a back four and played a back four. And But then that summer, he started doing little sessions on a back three on, on early in the week. Then we'd go away from it, play the game. And then it, it took him about six months of, of, of small coaching sessions and then when we went to, I remember all of us thinking, wow, like we were struggling and he, we're going to a back three. This is, wow, this is madness. And we became a brilliant team. 
uh, when it was when Sean Maloney had just came, but then he added Jean Beausejour, who was a Chilean uh, left winger from Birmingham. And I'll never forget, Roberto was brilliant at He's the most positive person. I think I'm positive, but he is the most positive person ever. And he told me we're signing the best left wing back in the world. And I thought, Jesus, <laughs> who are we signing? And then it was Jean Bostager. I thought, I'm not sure he is. And then when I seen him play, he was perfect for that position. He understood the position better than anyone I've ever seen play wing back. He was amazing. And we had uh, Sean who would come in and, and the rotations we used to play with and it was in that run, uh, playing three four three. We we beat Man United, we beat Liverpool, we beat Man City, just by the the tactical awareness we had as a team because of the way we were coached. Uh, it was a, again. I've been fortunate, you know. I think to Tony Mowbray's team, Gordon Strachan. I feel like I've always played teams that are uh, quite gung ho. Uh, give goals away, probably my fault most of the time. Uh, but play real attacking, you know, exciting football, uh, and and that's how you know I, I I like it, you know, and and that's what as a coach, that's what I've tried to be. I tried to get my teams uh, to to play that way because I, I believe whilst it, you know you need to win, I, I think you need to win a certain way as well, and and I believe in that style of football. Just one final uh, touch before we go into, obviously, your coaching side. Just how good was uh, Sean, uh, Sean Maloney? I was actually, I was with him today. I just went to see him today. He he was a brilliant player. One of the best players I, I played with uh, throughout my career. Not just on talent, uh, on work ethic, uh, in the gym. Uh, season, he would all go away himself before we came back in to, to work on his fitness. He, I think he, he'll probably be the first to admit he was obsessed and an early part of his career I think it led to injuries and when he came to Wigan he was late 20s he chilled a bit he had the odd beer on a Saturday night uh, I would take him out and have four or five and he would have one which I think kind of it chilled him a little bit and it, and it allowed him to play his best football so I think there's there's a real case for that balance in, in life you know that Yes, you need to train hard. Yes, you need to work, but you need to have that balance to to be mentally in a good place. Because if you're not, it can lead to injuries. If you're too anxious, if you're too uptight. Uh, but late uh, in his career, when he was at Wigan for a, for a season, he was, in my opinion, one of the best players in the Premier League. Even though he would never get that credit because he was playing for Wigan, but he. He scored a, a wonder goal against Man United. He scored at Anfield. He scored free kicks at the the Emirates. Uh, he scored. He, he was actually scoring a free kick every week nearly at the end of that season. And nearly that was when we won the cup. And nearly kept in the league single handedly because of his performances. And uh, he was one of my best mates in football, but definitely one of the best players I've played with as well. Obviously, yeah, you said that. Playing that attacking football, uh, attractive football, was what you wanted to carry on in your coaching career. Was it as easy as it seemed when you moved from, well, you were still player manager, obviously, at Wigan? Uh, was it easy? It, it feels easy after my, my two jobs after. <laughs> it feels easy now. Uh, it wasn't easy at the time. I, I, it wasn't easy because I was, I was sitting in a changing room with, with guys who were my mates, and then the next day, 
I was in the manager's office and, and I had to pick a team, drop some of them. And uh, I was fortunate in a sense that we I got the job, we were seven points behind with, I don't know, six games to go. Relegation was, was pretty much inevitable. We hadn't won a home game all season. Uh, so in that summer, we did, we did get relegated. And in that summer, 90% of the squad left. So then I could totally rebuild my own team and every player I signed weren't my teammate. You know, they, they seen me as the manager, even although I was I was 32 years old, I was a very young manager. Some players I signed were older than me. Uh, but it allowed me to, to really kind of make a mark on the squad and build my own squad the way I wanted it to look. And it's still to this day my, own, my one and only full season as a manager. Uh, and, we, and we managed to win the league, which was, you know, having won leagues as a player and won cups as a player, to win it as a manager was uh, a 10 times better feeling because of the the work that got put in, the connection with the club, uh, the people you're working for. Uh, you, you feel so much more connected to the football club because, you know, you feel like everything, you know, you're involved in everything and every decision uh, goes towards winning that that trophy, but uh, absolutely loved that squad of players, loved the people I was working with, and you know that was probably the highlight in my whole career. Even you know going to playing uh, to to do that as a manager uh, was really special. Like you're saying you're in your only full season yet, you, you've gained promotion. So was the whole exit from Wigan was that a bit surprising? Did you feel you were maybe a little bit hard done by? Really surprising. Uh, David Sharp, the chairman, the young chairman. Well, we I still speak to him uh, now. We had an amazing relationship uh, at our time at the club. But uh, you know, he said it himself. Certain things were happening behind the scenes, and uh, he, he regrets making that decision. We were fourteen games into the championship season. We had a budget that placed us in the bottom three. We were sitting third bottom. But of the last five games, we had won one, won three and lost one. So it wasn't form that, you know, we'd, we'd get a manager sack, so to speak. Yes, we weren't where we wanted to be, but we understood how difficult the season was going to be. The team was starting to find its feet in the league. And the big disappointment for me was not, you know, we had a a vision when we started. We, we wanted to take Wigan back to where we both associated it. So he... You know, when his granddad, uh, Dave Whelan, was the, the owner and chairman, he was a supporter going to the games and I was the player. And we both had that vision of taking him back to the Premier League and not being allowed to do that and not working with the group of players that I had such a connection with. And then, you know, having been at the club seven and a half years, the connection I had with the staff, uh my secretary, uh, the the doctor, everyone at the club was that was by far the my worst day in football when when I had to leave, go in and kind of pack my office up and and say goodbye to everyone was was a really difficult day. You touched upon that your next two um, managerial roles weren't so successful. Do you think you maybe jumped into Chesterfield a little bit too quickly? Yeah, without a doubt, uh, that was the Patrick Thistle one for different. You know, was brilliant. And then, and then for a short period was wasn't great, but loved that club. Uh, 
the Chesterfield one was a disaster from start to finish, uh, and and the club since has 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 got even worse. Uh, and now, thankfully, the the people that are involved, uh, you know, care for the club. They, the, some of the people that are involved now were involved in the community side of it. Were really nice people. Uh, it was a great. It was a potentially a great club, but just been run badly uh, and. I quickly realised as a young manager who who needed help anyway, uh, that, you know, if you ain't got that support, even as the best manager, you know, you look at the best managers that, you know, play the Guardiola's, the Jurgen Klopp's, you need people, good people around about you uh, and lots of them uh, to, to allow you to do your job. And uh, I didn't have that at Chesterfield. I made loads of mistakes as, as any young manager would. I learned more in that period than I have at either, you know, Wigan or, or Partick Thistle. And I think it's made me a better manager, but it was definitely the the wrong decision, the wrong club at the wrong time. Uh, and, and I learned that obviously then going into my next job that I had to do more due diligence and, and be really aware of the club and the people that, that I was going to be working for. Did you though enjoy your time at Partick Thistle? I loved it. Yeah, I loved the... Uh, I loved the challenge. I loved the people at the club. The board were by far the best board I've ever worked for. Uh, Jackie Lowe uh, and and all the board members, Jerry Britton, the, the chief exec. We had a clear plan. Uh, it didn't start well. There was problems w- within the club that, like every club, you, you, you know, even when you're doing well, you have problems. You have to deal with these day to day and work through that. But I had a vision of where I wanted to take the club. It was very much aligned to the way Jackie uh, wanted to take the club and where the club wanted to go. Uh, and the, kind of what happened with the boardroom struggles. And I, I think nothing in football would ever surprise me because of the things that I've seen over the years. But that was a strange one. That was a really strange period. Again, during that period, there's little things I, I would possibly have changed how, how I would have dealt with it. But I think when you're in those, hindsight's a brilliant thing. Uh, when you look back at things and really analyse them when you're in it, uh, I'm always, like I said, I'm positive. I always believe I can, I can, you know, fight my way out of things or fix certain things that are, are, I can maybe see are wrong. Uh, and... It was probably inevitable in that period that, that I lost my job. I think as soon as uh, the new board came in, uh, there was there was no relationships, there was no personal touch, there was no support uh, towards myself or Brian. Uh, and then should that affect results? No, is the answer. But does it? Yes. Because again, there's, I think, players and, and everyone can feel uh, when there's when there's not that uh, togetherness within the club and, and it just creates a, a different atmosphere which somehow affects results and we were a bit unfortunate that the results affected the league really because our, our cup form was excellent, we beat Ross County we drew with Hamilton uh, and then we lost the, the one crazy game was the, the Morton game we were 2-0 up and lost 3-2 we lost 3 goals late in the second half then had ended up with 9 men against Air United, we were 2-1 up and got beat 3-2 with nine men and lost to Dundee United, who were always going to win the league. So, again, having spoke to Jackie, I, I don't think I'd ever lost my job if, if the, the old board were there. So, again, that was a, 
it was a frustrating one uh, because we we were we felt like we were making progress and what we wanted to do, and that that all changed when when the board changed. What you've learned from your three um, managerial stints, do you do you envisage yourself getting back into that sort of role? Yeah, I would love to. Uh, I'd love to get into back into football. I miss the the day to day coaching. Uh, I believe I've got a lot to offer in, in the coaching side and uh, in terms of is that the manager, is it assistant manager, is it a coach? Uh, I'm open to to anything. I think what I've learned is it has to be the right club with, with the right people who are you know we're we're aligned in how we see the game, how we see development, how we see you know dealing with people, creating the right values and and behaviours at a football club to to get success. That doesn't happen overnight. You can't click your fingers and and that happens. Uh, so, so getting the right people in the right football club, I think, is is very important. But uh, I would love to get back in because I I, I love it. I love the game. Uh, I love the the day to day with players uh, preparing training uh, and and the matches, the excitement in matches and and games. So, uh, but it needs to be the obviously with the Chesterfield experience, it needs to be the, the right club. How much are you enjoying right now your your repunditry stint? Yeah, I enjoy it. It, it keeps keeps me in the game. Uh, it's been, with COVID, it's been so difficult to get to games that you know I was in Inverness last week, and it just feels surreal when you get to a game because even down here, you know, people who I know really well, they they can't get me into the stadium sometimes because you have to be connected to a club or a scout, and you know, so it's really difficult for them. It's not like you know, normally I'd even when I'm out of work, I'd go to a game every Saturday to to just keep myself watching games and seeing players and, and looking at different systems and how different managers work. Uh, so that's been frustrating. Uh, normally I'd go in and watch training. So I was fortunate. I spent three days with Brendan Rogers. I'd been in to see Sean Dyche. I've been over to Ghana uh, to an academy out in Ghana and spent a week there. So I've I've done things like that to try and develop. Uh, my coaching and learn from uh, people who are respecting the game and, and that's you know the COVID you, you can't go into training grounds because of all the COVID bubbles and, and different things so the punditry work has, has been brilliant in that regard to, to get me out to games and uh, I'm enjoying it uh, a lot in, in terms of analysing and, and, and again trying to constantly try to develop and try to learn and, and improve in any way I can and you get yourself a wee bonnet hat like Strachan on Celtic TV. Um, <laughs> have a, I, honestly, I could ask you another thousand questions. I really could. One final one for you, though, because um, I can't not talk about this. What was it like scoring that goal against France? Yeah, that's my, I think that'll be on my, my gravestone when I, when I die, <laughs> uh, that goal. Uh, I've, I've showed the kids it uh, many, many times. Rightly. <laughs> because they, they see me now. I had... I had my hips replaced actually three, four years ago when I was 35. And when I was at Chesterfield, actually, I, when I was coaching, the pain even then was too much. I couldn't play around the golf. So I went to see the surgeon who'd done all the surgeries when I was playing and he uh, said I would get a replacement. Your quality of life will be so much better. But even still, I must admit, when I kick the ball now, it's it's not great. So the kids, you know, they, they can even beat me out, out the back and 
when I show them the clips, they kind of look as if they see, is, is that you? And I've got the shaved head. They say, Dad, why did you used to shave your head? I said, because I wasn't hard and it made me look a bit hard. So <laughs> uh, it was to trick the man I was playing against. And uh, so, yeah, I show them that. But that was, I said at the time, I remember saying after it, I hope it's not the highlight of my Scotland career because I hope we, we qualify for a major final. That would eclipse that feeling and we, we didn't manage to do that. So now that I'm kind of retired and looking back, by far it was the highlight and amazing day. Uh, Walter Smith, tactically at his very best, had prepared the team brilliantly against a world-class team with you know the best players in the world at the time. And yet a group of guys who had a plan and again had that spirit, had that togetherness. It just shows you in football that you can achieve anything if 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 you have that. It gives you a real a real chance uh, in any football match against anyone. So uh, and delighted obviously to to score the winning goal as a defender. To score any goal doesn't happen often, but to score, which I I, I now say it was a half volley from eighteen yards, but. When the kids see it, they see it wasn't quite that. Uh, but nonetheless, it went. And I always tell them if it hits the net, then it doesn't matter how you score uh, as long as it hits the net. So it was uh, a special day. Is there a little bit of, you know, you're, you're that next generation of obviously have qualified for Scotland, uh, for, qualified for a, a major tournament, sorry, for Scotland. Do you feel like you've just missed out? Is there any sort of, obviously there was there's a lot of talk that that, Oh, six, seven, eight sort of squad never really hit the heights that it should have. Is is there more pain than now that this generation have made it? Not at all. No, there was. I watched it with my youngest boy. He was he was actually wanting an England strip. He's born in England, and all his mates are English. He was actually in the same class as Wayne Rooney's boy at school. So uh, he was wanting an England strip, and then we watched that game. And after it, he said, Dad, I want a Scotland strip for my Christmas. There we so go. <laughs> he's got a Scotland strip. They've got the, the Scotland hoodies and T-shirts. We are fully kitted out for, for the Euros. So I'm thankful of that. But uh, no, I'm not, not sad I missed out at all. I remember my last game for Scotland just being in pain uh, for the whole game uh, with my hips. And uh, I remember Gordon actually had a, he had a right go at me in the change room and I can't even remember what I said to him, but I knew I got on the plane, and I knew I thought I'm never playing, never playing for my country again. And uh, I always, I'm never one for. I don't like people who retire and, and make a big song and dance because I always think if if Scotland wanted to pick me tomorrow, then then I'd play for Scotland. I don't think that's going to happen, like I said, but I, I don't see this need to to retire for your country and and make it about me. You know, playing for my country was was special but it was always about Scotland and uh, like I said I'll I'll hold out hope that maybe one day but <laughs> I would never retire for, for playing for my country Make sure Steve Clark hears this Gary thank <laughs> you so much for joining me like I said I could, uh, could speak to you easily for another hour but um, all is left to say is thank you so much for joining me on Soccer Supernova Thank you, thanks Amy
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Sports Social Podcast Network. 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 Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.